We're going to pray as we come to the word this morning. Lord, it is a wonderful privilege for us to come this morning into your presence, Lord, to open your word together. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us this morning, guiding us in your truth, leading us in your ways. Amen. We are a part of something bigger, something grander and greater than we could possibly imagine. I want you to think about that statement for just a minute. I have a pretty creative imagination. I can imagine some pretty fantastic things. But if it wasn't for pictures like that, I'd never be able to conceive of the magnificence and the magnitude of all that God has created. And even as I see pictures like, like that that we have up there, uh, depicting various galaxies of stars that God has created, my mind boggles. We are a part of something bigger and grander and greater than we can possibly imagine. Over the last few months, we've been looking at the lives of God's people throughout the exile in Babylon. We followed this, their story as they encountered trials and challenges with not just their livelihood, but their lives and their existence as of the nation. Their people were at stake. With the weight of that knowledge, these men and women of faith did not waver in the certainty of whom they placed their trust. When confronted with certain death, they stood firm on the promise that their God was in control. They knew he had a plan and they knew that death was not the end for them. We've seen that God's plan was bigger than the Israelites' exile. It was bigger than Daniel, Daniel's night in the lion's den. It was bigger than Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego uh, and their big barbecue. It's bigger than Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, and Cyrus, and Xerxes, and Artaxerxes. God's plan for Israel in the exile was a part of his plan for you and me. His plan for Israel all along was to bring about reconciliation of a broken and sinful people to himself. We've all been damaged. We've all been hurt. We are all broken people. We've all hurt others, taken things that weren't ours, said things in anger or jealousy or ignorance that have damaged and broken others. We are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glorious creation that God created us to be. And that is on us. But God's plan was about restoration. He's a renovator. He sent Jesus to renovate his creation, to make it as good as new, the only way possible, by sacrificing himself on the cross, by becoming sin for those who were sin, who knew only sin. He is our atonement. But none of this was a surprise to God because his plan, his great big plan, has been at work since the beginning. This morning, as we come to Nehemiah chapter 1, we're reminded that like Nehemiah, we are a part of God's big plan. Our part is to tune our hearts to God's heart and to make God's plans our plans. We like to make excuses, 
But Paul puts them to bed uh, and answers them in Romans chapter 1, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour honor him as God or give thanks to him, but, because, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. This morning, I think we need to fully understand how God is. How great God is. What he created and what he's done, if we can possibly begin to understand what is happening. In, in, in Psalm 139, David expresses how he perceives God as Paul had, had reflected in Romans 1. And David says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the skies, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the, and, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So as we get started this morning, take a journey with me to the heavens. Let us understand a little more about who it is that we worship as our almighty God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 to 19. And God said, let there be light, lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. In, in this one breath, with a thought, with a word, he creates this. Next one, Benny. This is a photo taken from the Hubble telescope. It's the Trumpler 14. A cluster of stars inside a nebula 8,000 light years away. It takes 8,000 years for light to travel from there to here. It's so far that we need to measure the distance by how long it takes light to get, there, to, from, to get from there to here. I know it seems like light's instantaneous when we turn on a light switch, it's there. It, light travels at, let me get this right, 299,792.458 kilometers per second. So in one second, a particle of light could travel around the earth 
seven and a half times. And it's at that speed, it takes 8,000 years of our earth years, 8,000 times of the earth going around the sun for the light from these stars to reach us. Here's another galaxy. This is the Whirlpool Galaxy. Right at the very center of this galaxy is a cross. Located, it's located 20 million light years away. 20 million light years. NASA's Hubble tel telescope provided astronomers with what may be their first direct view of an immense ring of dust which fuels a massive black hole at the heart of the spiral galaxy M51. Surprisingly, they found that the ring is standing amongst perpendicular to the, the relative flat, relatively flat spiral galaxy, like a, a top spinning on its side with respect to the floor. Even more surprising is the discovery of a second ring of dust of, or, or a dust lane which is contrary to all expectations. Here's a picture of it. Some people think that it's an X. But you know what I think it looks like? When, when God created on the fourth day the stars... He placed this image for us in the sky, testifying to his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature within his creation. Isn't that marvellous? Tucked away far, far into the stars, in a place that no man would see for thousands of years as a reminder that in the very beginning. God knew what he was doing. He had a plan. It's awe-inspiring. That's how incredible God is. That's who we worship. A God so powerful, he creates everything in an instant, yet so lovingly and mercifully that he sacrifices himself to save us. It would seem ridiculous to us that someone so powerful could love so selflessly. But I guess that's why he's God and we're not. But we are a part of God's big plan. And all he requires of us is to tune our hearts to God's heart and to make God's plans our plans. I'm going to have a look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles open with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. Here's a bit of the background of what Nehemiah is experiencing, where he's at. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanai, Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the, the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond in moments of crisis? 
How, how do you respond when you're confronted with a situation? When you see someone double parked or in a disabled spot when they're not disabled? How do you respond? What, what is the instinctive reaction? What are the words that, that, that maybe you're fighting to hold back behind your teeth? How, how do you respond when a decision doesn't go your way? We will never forget that moment when Harry Kuehl was red carded for an alleged handball in the box. How do you respond when, when the umpires make a decision that doesn't go your way? When things are, are just not working out the way you expect or desire them to be? What if you've nearly arrived at your destination only to find the road closed and be told that you have to go another way? Or maybe you're just tired and you just don't want to go out. No matter how hard you try, you just can't find your ducky. You know, we've, we've all had moments like that where we just want to fall in a heap on the floor and just say, God, I can't. I can't. It's easy for us to get upset at God when things don't go to plan, when they don't turn out the way we think that they should. I've heard people yelling at God, angry at God. It's okay to a point. God created us with emotions and that, that's a beautiful thing. But sometimes I think we forget who it is that we are talking to. As Matty shared from, from his favorite verse this morning, Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. We forget that, that God has a way that is, that is far greater than our ways. And we want to lean on our own understanding We forget that God is the almighty, majestic creator God. While we can ask why something uh, that, that we see as, as being a bad thing has happened, we should never forget that God has not lost control. God has not been caught by surprise. He knows exactly what is happening. He knows exactly what is going on in our lives. And he has a plan. We are a part of that plan. And so maybe instead of throwing a tantrum, we need to tune our hearts to God's heart to seek to make God's plans our plans. Nehemiah gives us a beautiful example of this. Let's have a look. Verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I, counted fast, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of their people, the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcasts uh, in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people 
whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give to you, your servant, today success and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah responds firstly by grieving and fasting and praying. He begins not by by telling God all that he sees wrong. He begins by acknowledging that God is the one with the plan and the purpose. God is the one who knows what's what's going on with, with unfettered and unhindered knowledge. He humbles himself. He fasts and prays. Not, not by protesting. His fasting and prayer is not like a, a protest where he refuses to eat until God answers him. His fasting is a way of humbling himself before God. To tune his heart to God's heart, to, to make God's plans his plans. He, he does this so that he could better hear God to understand from God's perspective what God is doing and what he's, he's got in store for them. And then only after that, he's able to pray for the repentance of his people. And that through repentance and following Yahweh, that they would be restored and that God's plan for redemption, the redemption, the promise that we see to Adam and Eve and to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, to David, would be fulfilled. You're a part of God's plan. Never forget how great he is. Never forget how great he is. So Nia begins by orientating himself, his heart, his mind, his body towards God. And then he acknowledges who God is acknowledges uh, that, that God is awesome. He acknowledges with reverence and respect. Then uh, Nehemiah acknowledges how broken he and, and God's people are. Nehemiah confesses the sins of his people, the sins of, of himself and the sins of his father's household. When he's orientated himself properly, he is able to see more clearly who is right and who is wrong. Let me tell you, if you go into an argument with God, the only way you're going to win is arguing God's point. The only way you're going to win is arguing God's point. He is good. He is holy. He is righteous. He is worthy. He is majestic. Nehemiah recognizes that his people have repeatedly, repeatedly broken their covenant with God and as God had promised, God had fulfilled his promise to scatter them for their disobedience. But he also acknowledges God's grace and God's mercy in the midst of all of that to redeem them and restore them. Nehemiah's response is kingdom-focused. In verses 9 to 11 we read, But if you return to me, 
the words of God and keep my commandments and do them. Though your outcasts are in the utmost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. In the midst of all of that he had going on in his life, the responsibilities, we see this, this last phrase, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. There was huge responsibility but also great privilege within that. In all that he had going on, the source of Nehemiah's pain and grief was the state of God's people and God's plan. His heart yearns for, yearned for the things that God's heart yearned for. We are, just like Nehemiah, a part of God's big plan. Like Nehemiah, we need to tune our heart to God's heart and make God's plan our plans. God's promise becomes our solution. We've seen time and time again that God is faithful, that God has a plan, and that God is in control. This morning I could say that this week as you go facing whatever challenges may confront you, this week remember that God has a plan and his creation cries out to remind us that he's in control. Maybe this week you'll be confronted by the worst week of your life. In that case, I want you to remember that. God is in control. He's not caught by surprise. But for the rest of us, I think there is a greater challenge. We become comfortable and confident, secure in our faith. We live our lives with an energized sense of righteous confidence. And so we should. But the problem is that we let pride creep into our sense of confidence. We begin to treat God like our employee as though we are the master and he exists to serve us. Starting this morning and then again tomorrow and then every day after that, will you commit to return all authority back to Yahweh? Will you stop assuming in any circumstance that you know better than, than God and, and be like Nehemiah who humbled himself and remembered who put the stars in their place, who desired so much to see God win that he fasted and prayed? He wanted to help, his people, help for his people, but most of all, he wanted to know what God's plan to help them was. So will you join me this week in submitting to God, to submitting to God's plan instead of trying to get him to do our plan? Will you take time out of, of whatever it is that's consuming your time, be that Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat, texting, gaming, maybe even eating not to talk at God, but to listen, to wait patiently before him, to engage with his word. When we turn our hearts to God's heart, are we prepared to make God's plan our plan and to trust that regardless of our situation and circumstance, he's in control. He's not caught by surprise. He knows what's going on and he knows what he's doing. And it is glorious, more glorious than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. 
Father, we, we come and are just humbled by the evidence of your glory and grace hidden there in creation for us to discover. The wisdom of man that, that thinks that we, we are, are making things new. Only to find that you've been there long before preparing the way. Father, prepare the way in our hearts today. Lead us in your ways. Turn our hearts to your heart. Let our plans be your plans. Lord, let us celebrate in your glorious victory on the cross. And let us see that impact the lives of those around us for eternity. Bless us, Father. Amen.